Well, stay standing. Let's take out our copy of the scriptures this morning and let us rejoice in the opportunity to open it and have God speak to us through it. Chapter 9 of Romans is where we'll be this morning or where we'll be beginning. Romans chapter 9, we're going to read verses 30 uh, down through chapter 10, verse 4. And we'll be looking at that passage. It's really a, a place where verse 30 is really where the, the break should be, and it carries on across that chapter division uh, through chapter 10, verse 4. So we'll be reading that and be looking at that passage this morning. Let's give uh, attention to this. This is God, again, speaking to us. Let us hear it together. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We, we pray that as we have this time now to, to enjoy hearing what you speak to us through it, we pray that you would, that you would be the one to speak. Lord, may, may your words be that which remains in our minds and our hearts we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. We ask that you would bless the hearing of your word. And may we be blessed for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, a group of famous men once said that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness, the, the, the chasing of happiness, the seeking of happiness. The, the pursuit of happiness is but one kind of pursuit that we all can engage in in our lives as human beings. There are many. There's the pursuit of perhaps a boy as he pursues the girl of his dreams or of a girl who pursues the boy of, of hers. People can pursue and do pursue education. They pursue happiness, as, as I said. They pursue a career. They can pursue financial position and wealth. Many people pursue power. You can pursue a personal dream. A lot of different things that people pursue. Some are good. Some are not so good. Some are profitable. Some are, at best, a waste of time. And you can tell a good deal about a person by noticing the things that they pursue. 
This morning we're going to, in these verses here from the book of Romans, we're going to, to learn about a pursuit of a group of people. A pursuit that has perhaps good motives, but being pursued in absolutely the wrong way ended with disastrous results. As we transition here from chapter 9 to chapter 10 of Romans, the Apostle Paul is engaged in still the the first part of this larger section in chapters 9 through 11 in considering the situation of his brethren, the situation of the Jewish people, um, of their rejection of the gospel particularly, and, and how that fits with God's plans and God's promises concerning them. We've seen the sovereignty of God's choice in choosing some of the fallen race of men to be recipients of His mercy and receive the grace of salvation through Jesus Christ, and we've seen that that is given to some, but not all. Last week we considered the truth that the some, those vessels of mercy whom God has chosen, whom He has prepared beforehand for glory, that they come from two different groups. There are some within the Jewish nation, the Israelites, as they are known, uh, who are called by God, effectually called by God. Some who are vessels of mercy within Israel. Some, but not all. And because there are some, and, be, and that there are some from outside of that community. Some from those who are known as the Gentiles. Out of them, God has chosen to save some, to show His mercy on them, to make them vessels of mercy. Some, but not all. Some Jews, some Gentiles, individuals from each group chosen by God, shown mercy by God, saved by God, all according, all according we've seen, to God's sovereign choice, His right as the potter, to choose whom he, to whom he will show mercy and whom he will harden. Now in these verses today, Paul is going to look at things from, from the other side of this, from a different perspective, the perspective of those who are being saved and those who are not, from the perspective now of the, the actions and the responsibility of men. And Paul marks this transition here in chapter 30 with with a question. He asks, what shall we say then at the beginning of verse 30? And that question really is, is just a way to move the conversation forward. He's going to answer it. Uh, but it is really a rhetorical device, a way to move the discussion. What are the implications, he's saying, of all of these things we've been talking about previously to this? Why is it that the Jews, God's Old Testament people, seem to have missed the boat, while the Gentiles seem to be crowding on board? Why is the Gentiles' pursuit seeming to be more fruitful than the Jews' pursuit? And Paul is going to then describe, especially focused on the faulty pursuit, the failed pursuit of the Jews, and he's going to explain to us why it failed 
And though we might think, well, that's, that's the Jews for you. That is their, their issues that they've continued to have. We're going to see that this also points directly to people of, of Jewish and Gentile heritage in our time today who fall into the same issue, fall into the same trap and have the same problems with the pursuit that they make. Paul is then going to describe the failed pursuit of the Jews and in doing so he will show us why so many in this world who do pursue God yet fail in that pursuit. And in considering the 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 Israelites' pursuit of God, these verses are going to describe to us, first of all, a failed pursuit, secondly, a stumbling pursuit, third, an ignorant pursuit, and finally, we'll see an unnecessary pursuit. In verses 30 and 31, we see the first of those, a failed pursuit. In Paul's initial statement, which he's going to expand through the rest of the passage, we read this, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Now, Paul frames this whole thing in, in the terms of a pursuit, a, a, the running of a race, sort of running toward a goal, chasing something. That's the, the picture that he, that he uses here. And he begins, just as he did last week, he begins with a short statement about the Gentiles and about their pursuit. Although, as it works out, what he has to say about them is that they did not pursue something. He says that they did not pursue righteousness, verse 30. But, he says, they have attained it. What's the it, first of all? Well, it's the righteousness. The end of the verse says, it is a righteousness that is by faith. That is what the Gentiles have have attained, though they did not pursue. They did not engage in this pursuit in the way that Israel did. And we see right away a change of perspective here, a change of scene, because we're not talking, we're not looking so much as we have in the past at what God has done, as we've been looking at it the rest in chapter 9 here, but now we're looking at what the Jews and the Gentiles did or did not do. So we're on the other side of this. Gentiles, he said, and notice that he keeps it general. He just says, it's, it's not particular Gentiles. It's not all Gentiles. He just very generally says, but Gentiles. He says they did not pursue righteousness. And since the pursuit of righteousness is really the subject of these verses, let's remind ourselves what Paul means when he is talking about that here in the book of Romans. The righteousness that he means, the righteousness to which he refers, the righteousness is that righteousness which is revealed earlier in the book, that it is manifest in the gospel earlier in this book, that that it is not in man. The righteousness is that that comes through faith. It is a righteousness that is reckoned to those who believe like Abraham believed. The righteousness that is of concern to Paul here in the book of Romans is the righteousness of the righteousness of God, which is that righteousness that God requires, and the righteousness which God reckons or imputes or credits to those who come to Him through Christ, who come to Christ in faith. 
It is that legal righteousness that we've talked about all the way through the book. It's that forensic righteousness before the judgment bar of God that results in a right standing before God. To have this righteousness is the opposite of being condemned by God. It is the free gift of God that comes about through the gracious act of God that we call justification. It is that righteousness, that free gift of imputed, credited righteousness put to our account. Though it's not a righteousness that we have provided, not a righteousness that we came up with ourselves or worked up ourselves or lived out ourselves because we can't. It is the righteousness of Christ given to us, credited to our account. That is what he is talking about. He says here it is a righteousness that is by faith, for that is how we receive it, is through faith. This is the righteousness, Paul says, that the Gentiles did not pursue but have attained. It is that righteousness really, that, that cannot be by pursuit attained, by efforts attained, by works attained, but it comes as the result of God's grace, as a free gift given and received through faith alone. Faith is the key. It's the key here in the fact that the Gentiles have attained what they did not pursue. Then he goes on in verse 31 to speak about the Jews. He says, But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. The Jews, Paul says, were also pursuing something. They were chasing something. They were running towards a particular goal. They were, chapter 10, verse 2 tells us, doing that with much zeal. But notice that there's a slight difference in the comparison that Paul sets up between verse 30 and verse 31. You know, when he says that the Gentiles did not pursue righteousness, we we expect then to hear that, that Israel did pursue righteousness. But that's not what Paul says. Rather, he says that, that yes, the Gentiles did not pursue righteousness. He says, but the Jews pursued a law that would lead to righteousness. So they're not precisely parallel. This is like one step removed from actually pursuing righteousness. And herein is the problem. Here is why they failed. As Paul says in verse 31, they did not succeed, he says, in reaching that law. Now ultimately, yes, they were pursuing righteousness. But they were pursuing it through the wrong means. They had the law of God. Perhaps one of the reasons that the the Gentiles were not so susceptible to pursuing a law that would lead to righteousness is because the Gentiles, through the, the, the providence of God in the history of redemption in the Old Testament, didn't have the law. But the Jews did. It was one of the benefits of, of, that were given to Israel as the people of God that Paul has laid out in earlier verses and chapters. They had the law. They had the oracles of God. But their failure, their problem was that they mistook the law for the true means of attaining righteousness with God. And so instead pursued the law 
speaking here of the Mosaic law, that, that would lead them, they thought, to righteousness. The mistaken, the failing pursuit is, by the way, the same place Paul had been before he was converted. In Philippians 3, as Paul sort of recounts his accomplishments and his status in his life before he uh, met Christ on the road to Damascus that day, he, he says that in verse 6 of Philippians 3, he records that he was as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So that was Paul's measure, was his, his righteousness under the law. So the pursuit of the law was a failure because Paul came to learn that. He came to learn that, that his righteousness according to the law was not sufficient. And it was not true. He was not blameless according to the law. No one is blameless according to the law because there is no one who does not sin, Scripture tells us, and there is none righteous. But the pursuit of the Jews in that way was a failure. Not for lack of trying, not for lack of desire. Their pursuit was certainly, well, it was certainly stronger than that of the Gentiles who didn't even pursue it, Paul says. Their pursuit was, was there, their zeal was there. But their problem was actually twofold. One, they were pursuing the wrong thing. They were pursuing the law as a means of attaining righteousness. And second, they were pursuing it the wrong way. In their race, in their chase for the goal, they were like a, a cross-country runner who's running very fast, very intensely, only to find out later that they took a wrong turn somewhere and ended up on the wrong path and it didn't get them to the finish line. And why is that, Paul asks in verse 32. Why did they not succeed in reaching the law that would ultimately bring them, they thought, to righteousness? Or to simplify it, why did they not achieve the righteousness which they sought through the law? And here's the answer in verse 32. Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They did not attain the law and thus the righteousness they sought because they, they pursued it the wrong way. They pursued it by works. They looked at it as a, a, a measure of accomplishment. That if they reached a certain level that they would be right with God. By their own keeping of the law. That's what they were pursuing. They ignored the faith. They ignored the belief and the trust in God or, or at least uh, made it subservient to the, the activity of the law or their activity regarding the law. They ignored the trust in God and his promises that had been the basis of Abraham being reckoned righteous by God back in Genesis 15. Paul is really taking everything that he's been saying about righteousness before God since back in chapter 3 when he began talking about that and saying this is the very thing that the Jews have missed in their pursuit of righteousness. He's saying that a right standing with God comes not by works but by faith. In Romans 3.20 he said that by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight. Over in Galatians 2.16, he said, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
A little further in Galatians, in chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the Jews, he says, here in Romans, they pursued righteousness, he says, as if it were based on works. And therefore, because they were seeking to work their way to righteousness that's acceptable to God, they failed in their pursuit. Failed because they made the most fundamental error imaginable. And not just in the Old Testament, in these days of Paul writing. Remember, Paul's writing to the Roman church, but there, but there are a substantial number of Jewish people in that church, as there were in other churches that Paul went to and, and started and ministered to. And so he's speaking to them in his day. They failed because they made that fundamental error, an error, by the way, an error that God's word prophesied that they would fall into, or rather that they would stumble over. If this aspect of Paul's analogy is like a runner taking the wrong path, what we're going to see now is that this is like the same runner tripping over a stone in that wrong path. A stone, by the way, that would have set them on the right path. And so it is also a stumbling pursuit. Secondly, the problem for Israel, the problem for the Jews, Paul says, is this at the end of verse 32. He says they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. That's the problem. That's that's the issue. That's what they have done. And in doing so, they have done the very thing that it was prophesied that they would do. It's interesting to to notice here that the Jews' rejection of Christ, which Paul is, is so torn up about inside, that he is so sorrowful and has such unceasing anguish, as he says in his heart, that that was all something that was predicted in the Old Testament, was prophesied in the Old Testament. And to make this point, Paul expertly folds together two different Old Testament prophecies from the prophet Isaiah in a beautiful messianic and yet a a tragic statement of that rejection. The first part of verse 33, if you look at it there, he says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. Stop there. That comes from Isaiah chapter 28. Now in Isaiah 28, Isaiah is prophesying against Israel's placing their hope and placing their trust in human alliances for their safety and for their their confidence. And God says to them in, in that prophecy, he says, listen, you are trusting in lies. You are trusting in falsehood. In this case, they were trusting the Egyptians and the Assyrians to keep them safe. And if you know your scriptures, you know how that went. But you're trusting lies, God is saying. You're you are taking refuge in the very thing that's going to be your downfall. But, he says, I am laying a far more secure foundation for my church. He says in Isaiah 28, 16, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone. 
a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. He says, whoever believes will not be in haste, will not be in turmoil. And we know that the New Testament writers recognize that reference to this stone as a a reference to the only foundation, as the New Testament writers say, especially Paul, the only foundation that can be laid for the church, for God's people, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the stone that God has laid in Zion to rule his people forever. We saw that last week, if you remember. 1 Peter 2, verse 6, uh, as an example, Peter speaks of how we like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house to offer spiritual sacrifices to Christ. Then, right after he says that, he quotes Isaiah 28, 16, speaking of Christ as the cornerstone of that spiritual house. And then in Matthew 21, 42, and Acts 4, 11, and Ephesians 2, 20, those Verses all likewise echo that Jesus is that precious, tested cornerstone. The stone that God has laid in His city to rule His people. He's the cornerstone, the most important stone in the foundation of a building that orients and gives stability to the whole rest of the structure. Jesus is that. And God has laid it. God has said it. But of this crucial foundation of the church, which God himself has laid, and of which he spoke in Isaiah's prophecy, Paul adds something else, a second passage, sort of melding it with with another quotation, this time from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. Isaiah 8, 14 says this. He says, And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. And as God's people in the Old Testament were offended at Almighty God in their day, so they were in Christ's day, and so they were in Paul's day. And by the way, so they are in our day. You know, this has not changed over the the centuries. This is not any different today. The Jews today are still stumbling over the stumbling stone. So important is this and this understanding of Christ being that cornerstone, that, that these verses become among the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. In fact, in the passage that I mentioned just a moment ago from 1 Peter, where Peter quotes from Isaiah 28:16, he does the same thing that Paul does. Although more explicitly, he then also quotes from Isaiah 8:14 about stumbling over that 
cornerstone, stumbling over that stone. He also brings in Psalm 118, verse 22, which speaks of that stone being rejected by the builders. The builders are the Jews. The stone is Christ. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone of the church. That's what was prophesied, and of course, that is exactly what has come to pass. And Peter says, for, the, for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And at the end of that, Peter, in his epistle, says that they stumble, listen to this, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. You know, we've talked about sovereignty in earlier verses. Now we're talking about responsibility. There, Peter just puts those right together. They stumble because they disobeyed the word. That's their responsibility, human responsibility. But then he says, as they were destined to do. That's God's sovereignty together. The rock, the cornerstone, is an offense to many, and a stone stumbled over by the Jewish people and by anyone else who seeks to any other way to come to God. See, it's not just Judaism. It's anyone, any system that seeks to come to God any other way than through Jesus Christ, so any, anything other than Christianity, they have also stumbled over that same stone. And they miss the right, the only way to God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. The Jewish people missed it, Paul is saying. But that too is a plan of God. God laid this stone over which the people stumbled. And he has made that stone then to be the foundation of the church. Now it's not, we we must remember this, it is not God making them stumble. Just like earlier we talked about the fact that God hardening people is not God making people sin. It's taking his hands off and letting them go in the way that they want to go. And here it is not God making people stumble. They're not pushed over the stone. They're not tripped. They stumble. The rock is a rock of offense to them. And because they cannot square the the free grace of God given through Jesus Christ with their idea of righteousness through the law, Paul says they stumble over that. They are offended at him because he gives nothing to the human ego. He demands all the glory. And he demands complete devotion. And he deserves all the glory. And he deserves complete devotion. He demands that we trust in him alone for our rescue from sin. And that's true for the Jews. It's true for the Gentiles. But the Jews stumbled over that foundation stone, over Christ. But on the other hand, Paul says at the end of verse 33, he says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever looks to Christ... He will not be put to shame. He will not come under condemnation. But he will be saved. We'll see more about that next week. 
But the pursuit of the Jews was a failed pursuit because it was a stumbling pursuit as they stumbled over Christ. That brings us to our third point as we come to the beginning of chapter 10. And Paul begins chapter 10 very much the way he began chapter 9 with an expression of his sadness about Israel. Remember in chapter 9 he said, I'm speaking the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience bears, conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my, brethren, my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And here in chapter 10 he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He expresses again his desire for their souls to be right with God, a deep desire for their salvation. And along with that, a deep sympathy for them. For, he says in verse 2, he says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They have a zeal, an intense positive interest. They have a zeal for God. They have a passion for God. They have a desire for God. Just as Paul did before he was converted. Acts 22.3, Paul says in his defense before the Jews in Jerusalem, he says, I was zealous for God as all of you are this day. But he recognizes it. And he commends it in as far as it goes. They had a zeal for God. The Jews' problem wasn't that they were not interested in God or his glory, or the things of God. And Paul says, I, I know this, and so it is all the more heart-wrenching that they miss him, that they miss that which they desire. They have a zeal, Paul says, but it is defective. It is misplaced. Why? Because though they have the zeal, and we must say they operated according to that zeal, they lived according to that zeal, but their zeal, Paul says, was not according to knowledge. It was an ignorant pursuit. It was a misinformed zeal, an ignorant zeal. They're missing the real knowledge that they need. And that knowledge is the knowledge of Christ. And in verse 3 he explains what that knowledge is that they're missing. Really, he explains what knowledge they are rejecting. Since he says at the end of the verse that the problem is that they did not submit to the truth. Not just that they didn't know it. So it's not just a mind problem, it's a will problem that they have. He says in verse 3, he says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Here again is that term, the righteousness of God. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God. We've already seen what that means. They were ignorant of the fact that the righteousness of God comes not through works, but through faith. It speaks of the righteousness that God offers and gives freely as a result of God's own righteousness in action. This is the same righteousness that Paul speaks of back at the very beginning of the book of Romans in the theme verse of this book. In chapter 1, verse 17, there he wrote, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation 
for all who believed, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And they, the Jews being ignorant of that, sought a different way or rejecting it, sought rather to establish their righteousness. To put forward as their righteousness before God their own righteousness and therefore they missed the only righteousness that could have saved them. That which God provides through faith. They did not submit, it says, to God's righteousness. To the righteousness that he gives. They did not respond to the gospel with faith. And because they did not, because they ignorantly chose to substitute their own righteousness for Christ's righteousness, their pursuit of God, despite their zeal, was doomed to failure. As is anyone who seeks to put forward their own righteousness, their own system of righteousness. Anyone who seeks to put that before God and say, accept me because of this. Any such effort is doomed to failure. Perhaps the saddest thing here is our fourth point this morning, and that is that this is an unnecessary pursuit. For them, if they would see it, and for all who do see it, this pursuit, such a pursuit of pursuing the law that leads to righteousness, is an unnecessary pursuit because of what verse 4 powerfully, simply tells us. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. The wonder of the redemptive plan of God and of the gospel of Christ is that it renders man's striving for righteousness, his pursuing righteousness of his own, a sufficient righteousness generated by man's own efforts, those are all unnecessary. As, as unnecessary as they are unattainable. Unnecessary because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Now Paul doesn't mean there by saying the end of the law that Christ has set aside the law. That he has abolished the law. Remember back in Matthew 5.17 Jesus said don't think that I've come to, to abolish the law. Or the prophets, I've come, he said, not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Paul also said it here in Romans, in chapter 3, verse 31, in speaking about this righteousness which Christ provides, Paul says, do we then overthrow the law by this? He says, by no means. On the contrary, we, we uphold it. But in and through the works of Jesus Christ, any thought of attaining righteousness through the law is gone. We must not pursue righteousness before God through the law in order to be saved by God. First, because we cannot. You know, technically, the law could be a law that brings you to righteousness, a sufficient righteousness, if you get it absolutely right from the time you're born until the time you're 
dead. If you fail once, if you fail to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength one time, if you fail to love your neighbor as yourself one time, your hope of providing righteousness that will be acceptable to God is gone. James says that if you offend in one point, you are guilty of the whole law. People are either perfect or they are imperfect. And they are all imperfect. The only perfect one is our Lord. So first of all, we cannot. And second, most importantly, we need not. We need not pursue righteousness as a way of gaining acceptability with God. We need not because Christ has provided it. He did the work. A righteousness which we could never provide is reckoned as ours through Christ. We can never provide it. Christ has provided it and gives it to us freely as our own. So the Jews, in their pursuit of a righteousness through the law, missed it. Their pursuit failed because in that pursuit, with their eyes on the law, they stumbled over the foundation stone that God had set in place and which is the only source of righteousness that will stand the holy gaze of a just God. And being ignorant of that fact, that God not only demands righteousness, but he provides righteousness through his Son, Being ignorant of that, forgetting that, uh, not submitting to that, they chose rather to pursue righteousness, Paul says, as if it were by works. That pursuit was unnecessary. But to their loss, they pursued it all the same. And again, this is true, really, of everyone who seeks to come to God any way other than through faith in Jesus Christ. Because there's no other way to gain the righteousness that we need than to have it gifted to us. At the beginning of the message this morning, I mentioned that you can tell a good deal about someone by noticing what they pursue. Let me end by asking, what are you pursuing this morning? What is your zeal? Where is it directed? If it is like the Jews, directed in in trying to bulk up your own righteousness so that you can offer it to God for your eternal reward, you will be very disappointed and eternally punished for your sin. But if your pursuit is to pursue righteousness, so that you can, uh, or ask someone rather, who has already rested from working for that righteousness, and if you depend upon the work of Christ instead of your own, then you can go from this place this morning rejoicing in your Savior, and you can pursue then your Christian life from a source of gratitude, knowing that you are acceptable to God through Christ that you do not have to chase your own righteousness, 
because you've been given it and you've received it by faith if you trust in him. I pray that is the case for everyone here this morning. And to that, let us say, amen. Our Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the righteousness that comes not through our own pursuit, but through your grace given to us freely, grounded in the perfect work of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. We thank you for the salvation that we have through him. We pray, Lord, that we, as your people, as those who have received that gift, that we then would pursue righteousness as a means of showing thanks, as a means of showing gratitude. Guard us, Lord, against ever thinking that our, our walk, our righteousness, is ever the basis of our, of our being accepted by you. And help us then to freely offer up obedience to you as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.